This is the Educational Triage Podcast. Welcome. We invite you to come along with us on an exploration of interviews, issues, and other exciting and relevant topics in education, especially alternative education. They say alternative education is a laboratory for mainstream education. Why? Well, join us every week and listen in as Philip Summers and I, Tony Hunt, jump in feet first to discuss issues that may affect our classes, students, communities, as well as our teaching. Please subscribe if you enjoy and find relevance in what you experience here. And if you haven't left a quick review, please do. We appreciate your candor and insights so we can improve as we move forward. Now, let's see what's on board today. Hey everybody, welcome to Educational Triage. This is Tony. And this is Phil. And we are here this week because we are going to follow up from last week where we talked about what is critical race theory and this week we are going to talk about what critical race theory is not it's what it's not so well philip because you know so much about this because you studied it and i still feel like a little bit of a babe in the woods but what i'm understanding is that critical race theory is actually very simple in many ways yeah Yeah, i mean just on the offset i mean we didn't we're not able to delve way deep into the meat, but why, before we get into what it isn't, what is this, why are people doing all of this weird manipulation with it um, and getting people Ooh. all ginned up? Does it have something to do with the fear factor? Is that oh, what it's yeah. about? Or- well, it's a, it's a boogeyman. Yeah. becomes a boogeyman you know it's if, if you need to get your movement centralized then you find an enemy that's one of the things you do. first you find a centralizing cause but then you find like something that is opposing you that may be your centralizing cause but it's always good to have an other or an enemy and if you you know carefully pick enemies crt kind of fits into the mold of that that could be an enemy if but you why yeah if you interpreted it very strangely. Yeah. And, and very why, dishonestly, honestly. <laughs> That's but fair. why now? I mean, it seems to me that it's a... It's an odd conflict to have at a time when this... We have all these other issues that are coming up with, well, with equity. Yeah. With... Yeah. with uh, we already have racial conflicts that are there. So why poke the bear in a sense on, on race? Well, that critical race theory doesn't actually poke any bears. If let's, if let's review sociology lecture 101. No, critical race theory doesn't poke the bears. I'm saying, why do these people? Oh, why do the people? Why do the people use it as, as a poker when, Sociology 101. I can answer that question saying okay. sociology 101. Yeah. If you look at the way people interact in the society, sociolo- sociology has three major ways of focusing on its its trade per se. Sociology is to crowds and societies what psychology is, say, to the individual. You know, it's a way of studying how they do their thing and and how, you know, when they do it. And and sociology has three major focuses: the social interaction and then the functional. And then the conflict that these us humans have in society. So the social interaction would be, you know, what we do day to day. Anything from how do two football crowds um, intermingle, you know, versus, you know, how do you get um, one neighborhood to interact with another? And then the other one would be interaction in itself, functional theory. There's functional interactional theory, and interaction looks at how people do their things in society break into they break into clubs you know the benevolent protectorate the of the clicks. And, yeah i mean we all do that and why do we do that and do we do it based on age or what how do we do that and then the last one of course is conflict how, 
how we do our conflict as a society, where are the conflicts, that sort of thing. And that is based on Marx's work in conflict theory, because Marx focused on conflict theory. He, he, he was the originator of focusing on why do people in societies conflict with each other? And then he wrote political theory. But if you talk about Marx, that's really scary. And all conflict theory does is say in sociology is how are people conflicting? How are they interacting when they're in conflict? What do they do? Mm -hmm. Not in war per se, that's overboard, but conflict itself. And we have a lot of it now. And CRT says that based on that conflict theory, we have to understand that we have a certain conflict about race in our nation. Hey, news bulletin. <laughs> of course, we have problems with race in this nation. And, and I was inclined to go, why is that? And so I went to college and tried, you know, I mean, talk to people, mm -hmm. whatever, I spent a lifetime trying to figure it out. And we do, in fact, I, I can confirm it, there is a problem with race in this nation. <laughs> and conflict uh, theory fits CRT, it fits conflict theory. And, you know, that's basically, if you want to study it, that's how it comes up. And, and then there's tenets of it that just says it does exist. And that it serves a purpose. So racism and that it's a exists. a social construct. Yeah. Serves the yeah. purpose. Race exists as a construct. Yeah. And that it serves a purpose. And therefore, you know, we keep it. And that purpose, purpose. And that mm -hmm. purpose, if I remember correctly, is that it keeps somebody down lower. Well, I mean, it can be any kind I, of I purpose. mean, it's like, because yeah. we talked yes, about the caste right. system. You're right. Or yeah. it, it, what is the purpose of racism then? Well, I would say it serves a lot of purposes, not the least of which is to try to keep the stratification of classes. Okay. And, right. And the classes, the caste system. Yeah. There's the, the wealthy that would convince everyone that, um, that they deserve their wealth and that below them, there's always someone below you. And then, you know, down in the South, the good old boy system, they convince, the white folks that as low as the white folks could go, they're never going to go as low as the black man, period. Right. And then that just installed itself into the psyche of society in the South. Mm -hmm. And the lost cause myth is a sociological wonderland. I mean, that's just, you know, when you think about what that does and how it does it, that's a, it's a crazy way to, it's a crazy thing to study, but yeah, it entrenched itself and it kept a certain cast of people always poor, you know, infinitely now, and forever more poor. <laughs> yeah. Let me ask, it's let me ask a question yeah. from a sociological point of view then. Yeah. Does that, does being given that status then, does that embed itself into the culture? For example, if, if, if the poor whites in the South, yeah feel as though they're better than than the black people yeah. Yeah. the black does is that ingrained then somehow on the dna or just in the culture of the black people always it's always ingrained into the culture whether but, it's and forced then, so or it's harder for them to fight out of it yeah it well like i said the first thing about critical race theory is like race is a construct and if you turn that around what I like to say is race doesn't exist per se. It doesn't. We're human beings. We don't differentiate as for color. You know, there's, we have, we share certain traits and those traits that would be, you know, as a human would be, you know, difficult to deal with would be mental illness, you know, mm -hmm. that, and, and things like certain, certain disabilities that would hold you back from functioning normally, but we're still all humans, right? And so if you look at race, that's a construct we've completely adopted, embedded and put in the forefront of our brains that race is a thing. And we could not, we can learn not to see it per se. Culture, no. I mean, you want to see and hear everybody for who they are and hear their story. But, but culture is race is, is, and base your decision, decisions on race is a construct. Yeah. Okay. Because culture is pretty much based on. Yeah it's everything is based upon the environment and the need to survive and then building yeah. on that to make life a little better as you go need through 
with given given different inputs that may come through correct yeah culture is so embedded it's so you're right it's 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 economic but it's also survival it's just it's it's what what makes us humans i mean i really revel in the american culture especially the music i mean i think the Mm -hmm. music the, the music that we have created in the last hundred years as a culture absolutely mind shattering to me it's just unbelievably creative and that was the influence of african meets american meets you know the european and it just became american it just and that's culture to me and you can't put a can't really put a color on that you know if you had to i'd say it's more african than anything else but thank goodness you know it's just it's an american art form and it's our culture Mm -hmm. well jazz is jazz was actually very much taken in over in Europe, especially in France. Yeah, they really enjoyed jazz. In fact, they gave a lot of haven to the jazz artists in the 30s mm-hmm. yeah. that were trying to escape racism in America. They're just going, heck, I can go to Europe and be treated like Josephine Baker, like a queen, like a goddess. Yeah. She was a celeb galore mm-hmm. in Paris. And in America, she was just, yeah, you know, that woman. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. Maybe it has something to do with, and I know we're not going to solve the problem of race and I want to get moving on there, but maybe, maybe America is because we are such a melting pot of so much because we had discrimination against the Irish and the Italians and whatever was the next group that was coming over. And, you know, and then during the war, it was the Japanese or any of the Asians, and it was also the Germans. So there's this mob mentality that we have had as Americans for for two centuries. Yeah, I, we have to have the other. Mm-hmm. You know, we we always have to have the enemy. You know, it was. And in, in, during World War II, I mean, there was a lot of virtue on the side of America. We'd been attacked. We were the sleeping giant. We were the one of the rouse. We came to the aid. And, you know, quite frankly, that generation sort of saved, you know, the, the world. And um, so we didn't rest on that as much as, you know, get you know, the Japanese, get the Germans, you know, with the the epithets that go along with it, you know, we became a very racist nation. Well, the epithets that went along with it, a lot of that had to do with, it's easier to kill somebody that you can think of as less than. And so by using those names, that's where that came from. And And I'll have to say, and once again, I'll say that was a survival skill. You're absolutely right. But I would say that it was, I think, you know, we sort of focused on getting the enemy, um, you know, within the same proportions as the virtue that we had, it was a very kind of virtuous sort of thing for the United States of America. I mean, they were an excellent conqueror. <laughs> they didn't, they, they didn't execute everyone, you know, and it was, it was, it was, we can talk about that later, but, but we do need an enemy and CRT, speaking of which, it falls into that line really well. If you want to create a boogeyman of like, what to hate in schools, especially, especially if they're teaching kids. Right. right. And we're going to get into that. <laughs> and we're going to get into that yeah. because we're going to talk about an article. But yeah. before we do, um, I think that the misinformation, the yeah. true disinformation um, on CRT highlights how quickly a lie can spread across the world before the truth is finally uttered. And so the damage has already been done in so many ways. And so it's, it's very hard to, I think, triage as it were, what, what can (sighs) be done in order for people to understand it, because you have people who are, they want to believe what they hear. And this goes on, everybody it's easier when somebody tells you 
And you want to believe them because they are possibly from, maybe it's a sign of tribalism. They're from your tribe. And so you create an echo chamber. And I think most of us do this. We have an echo chamber where we hear things from people that we want to believe. And so they give us the information that we want to hear and we don't question it. The tribe. I was just thinking, what does the tribe know about CRT? (laughs) How many tribes out there were actually familiar (laughs) intimately with CRT, except for the universities and the academics? I mean, I started like, whoa, this is really, I mean, it's deep essays. These are really. (laughs) Right, right. So I think that let's, let's explore these things. And then we're going to go into mm-hmm. how, how it, what happened in some circumstances in education. One of them that hit kind of close to home for me, but um, mm-hmm. we can go into that. So yeah. let's say that, okay. So the first misconception is that it is a divisive anti-white ideology that seeks to promote reverse racism or white guilt. (laughs) That's not not an accurate statement, but... uh, Well, this is the misconception. Yes, I'm saying it it is what it is. No, it's not. It's it's not divisive. It is more of what I would call a descriptor. Yeah. It, it I mean, kind of explains it, it. It explains why things are. That's that's its goal. Is that not correct? I mean, it's a theory. Correct. This happens. Correct. It's yeah. cause and effect. I think I think maybe it's best to explain when I taught African-American history, I taught at the beginning of the year, I made a disclaimer and it was very short. But I said there's some of this stuff is going to make you uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. you know, based upon your race, I go. You white kids, kids are going to feel like, whoa, my descendants did this. <laughs> you browner kids are going to go, oh, my descendants suffered from this. It's like, hey, wait a second. Let's slow down. We're looking at this so we can learn from this. And we're trying to understand ourselves. And then as we went through the class, I would remind them, you know, yeah, that's those people back there were a lot like us. But remember, in that situation, it's not like today. And so I kind of disassociated them a lot of times from that because it is so emotionally charged. And it also, I mean, it can also lead to some charging of confirmation bias. Oh, you don't know what to do with that information. If you really talk about it, like just, yeah, example after example of horrible violence. And when you're trying to like get that in a high school classroom, I didn't pour it on, you know, but it's hard to, to talk about somebody being lynched, not in detail, but that the occurrences and not having some of the kids identify with that, you know, they actually mm-hmm. killed this person illegally and enjoyed doing it, you know, kind of thing. And it's like, yeah, and you have to understand. So, and I teach them that so that they don't fall prey to that sort of thinking and they recognize it when they see it because <laughs> okay. that's where history lies. So you have to dis- you have to disassociate it. And that was so- always important. Yeah. Okay, so we know now that it's not anti-white. It simply talks about yeah. how race is a construct. Correct. It's a construct and, and had certain consequences in certain places, especially history. When I taught African-American history, you know, that's where... where and, and according to my sources, it's also a challenge to systemic racism. Hmm. And, and its intersection with forms of oppression such as sexism, homophobia, and ableism. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because you're, you're you're investigating. You're academically trying to objectively investigate the phenomenon and what's mm-hmm. how it occurs and where it occurs. And when I'm always trying to figure out why is it I do what I do, even if I do something dumb. <laughs> so why did I do that? Yeah. <laughs> so it the next misconception is that it promotes the idea that all white people are inherently racist or privileged. Um, Okay. Uh, But, well, there's a power structure. There is. Is that correct? 
there is, but it's not just white people. Right. So Robin D'Angelo, mm-hmm. where does she yeah. fall into this? Well, it we're not getting anywhere if we stay in our corners. And if white people don't understand anything other than they're a problem <clears throat> and that they have to correct that problem, they're not going to do it because that doesn't motivate any people. So when you say this group needs to, or this group is, is benefiting from the privilege of it, and therefore they're sometimes, they're not guilty of it. That's just not fair because that doesn't help the person understand the situation. It doesn't disassociate them at all. Does it? It's not objective. It's you Can you white give an example? People. Well, yeah, you white people, that book should be, all these books should be titled You White People and then the title of the book. What that does is that's with a laser beam focus on you white people. And that's not going to solve anything. That's like trying to solve the problem by removing parts. The machine's not going to operate. You know, you have to take it dynamically. You have to mm-hmm. appeal to everybody. Everyone in the society is suffering from or benefiting from that race that racist structure we've built. It just so happens that more people of color suffer than they benefit. But I'm, I don't benefit, generally speaking, as a white male, as much as the generalized white male would be visioned as. I'm, I'm right in there in the low middle class doing the thing, you know. I'm not, it's not, I'm not the white people, you know, it's not, it's not my problem that I can fix and then society is fixed. It's like there's a mm-hmm. big machine. And it, it does put that, it puts that onus on people, then they just naturally reject it because they, they're not getting any help. You know, as so, part of society, they need to understand everyone's involved, you know. Right. So there's oppression as well as privilege exactly. on all sides. Everybody yeah. experiences it. Yeah. It's just that, well, if we look if we look for the privilege, we'll find it. That's the confirmation bias. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like as soon as I see a Toyota in front of me on the road, I know that we're going to be going slowly. Oh, you think it's the Toyotas that do that, huh? Well, those people drive and the like- Honda <laughs> and, and some Hondas. Those those Honda drivers. I thought it was those Subaru drivers that. Oh, the Subaru drivers. We live. We live in the Pacific Northwest. Subaru no, drivers no. are. They're getting a little bit better, but they seem to think that they have a magic wand, so that if they turn on the turn signal to move over a lane, that it'll be clear for them. They don't have to look. Just to be clear, as a disclaimer, we are not generalizing and/or <laughs> prejudicing in any way a large group of people. Based upon <laughs> incidents that we've occurred, it's, it's terrible. It's true. It's like if you think about it that way, and if and they then those Subaru drivers are black. It's like no. now you just qualify. Now it's racist, but it is. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, it's no, it's just, not racist. We're well, simply there. There is a kind of person that buys these vehicles. Well, I was just thinking about that. You said somebody then those you know, people who drive them are black, and it's like wait a minute. Yeah. Which the truth is, no, there's, <laughs> I've seen very, very few blacks. Boy, we are just getting deeper and deeper. <laughs> Sorry, Subaru. No sponsorship for us. <laughs> okay. All right, it's good. <laughs> now, it, does CRT promote the idea of racial essentialism? Or the notion that race is fixed and unchangeable as a portion of an individual's identity. Not if it's constructed. So the whole premise about critical race theory says we can we constructed race as a as the way to sort things. Um, and then that's okay, so, purpose. But yeah, so that's the answer is no. I mean, because we constructed it. Sort of so it's yeah. okay. 
So what you're saying is that just putting people into a box to mm -hmm. identify them mm -hmm. because of skin color, belief systems, culture, what have you, yeah. that that could be seen as the constructed racism. Well, the constructed race. Yeah. I mean, if it's, thing about it is, is we've sort of created the category of race and now critical race theory is, is examining the category of race and its first premise is that race has been constructed it's a it's a it's an imaginary thing it really so, is i mean you could you could break people right down to their hometowns if you really wanted right. to yeah instead of like people from africa or people from asia or people from america well i worked with i worked with some people who were very cut and dry very everything is very black and white not racially but that's just the term and yeah. very few shades of gray they weren't able to conceive of any shades of gray and i think that as a culture we're getting to that point where there are no shades of gray they talk about mm -hmm. nuance but right. these are the people who are baiting other people as far as um yeah saying something and saying oh no you missed the nuance of what i was saying but I don't know whether or not in education, because Google gives us the answer so quickly, ChatGPT and the other AI bots will give us the answers very quickly. Yeah. We don't really have to think about it. And there was a really interesting article in the conversation about everybody has to be right. Yeah. Nobody, nobody will say, I'm learning this. And so... And, and there is no comfort for people who tell you, yeah. I'm just learning this. Can you help me? No, you have to be right 100% of the time. You should have Googled it. You should have done this. And so we, we keep talking about giving yeah. people grace, but we just don't. And That's, so yeah. I, I'm I, just... I was thinking about that. You're absolutely right. Because people will get... They'll um, argue uh, with an expert when they're not even a novice i've seen that right and it's like wait and a I, minute so you're just there you're not getting the solution you just want to argue that's very clear because it was just that's all they did there was there really was no striving for any kind of compromise because they just wanted to argue with the person but the person was so qualified and they were so underqualified they just kept on talking and it was just fascinating to watch <laughs> wait a minute you're arguing with a doctor about how to do surgery and you're uh you know i don't know you're you work in a daycare center it's like a big difference in professional knowledge and i was asked to i was asked to i was asked a question and about something and i was caught off guard by the question uh -huh. and i i was in a room with a group of students and the teacher glibly threw this out but this one student kept turning around and giving me these i'm going to have to say that they were ridiculous answers <laughs> and so here i am trying to think about what it is what are the questions or what are the statements that i'm going to say on something and then they just come back with these really stupid can and, and i will say stupid because the whole yeah. the whole idea was to throw me off balance until finally, I just said, you know what? I don't know. You guys can figure it out because nobody else wanted to participate in the conversation because it wasn't a safe conversation. It wasn't a safe conversation. That's a and, good phrase. And I think that we need to find ways to make conversations safe. I right. mean, when you are challenged by somebody to talk about something, especially something along the lines of, what is race? What are the rights that should be afforded to all humans? It should be something where there, there should be an unwritten agreement that we are going to listen. And if we disagree with somebody, we can say, yeah. I disagree with you, and then point out the part that you either don't understand or that you disagree with because you cannot argue unless you understand where the other person is coming from. Exactly. 
Yeah. For example, it's... for example, I taught, I, I would teach biology. And one of the first components of biology that I would teach yeah. was, well, Darwinism, of course, except I would ask my students. And it's really mm-hmm. interesting because you, I create a safe environment as I can. And I say, who in here believes in creationism? And it's perfectly okay. You can believe in creationism. You can believe in intellectual design. You can believe in Darwinism. And we talk about the theory of evolution. We talk about, I I try to give them this information. And there's a short video on the creationist theory, because there is a creationist museum, believe it or not. And, and, And it's fascinating stuff. And so I tell my students who want to learn more about Darwinism that they are going to take either intellectual design, intelligent design, or creationism. And the kids who are doing those two are going to have to argue for evolution. And they're going to have to learn the facts of it. And then they are going to have to present yeah how it works what the theories are because i don't want somebody coming out of my classroom who says i was forced to learn this but i cannot believe in what i believe in that's fine for you to believe in what you believe as long as you understand where the other people are coming from that's mm-hmm. called it that's called intelligent query that's true. And there's a little bit of compassion mixed in there. <laughs> yeah. Right. It actually involves you in the subject and the subjects of the because yeah. yeah, because yeah. you need to you need to understand all the heuristics of what it is that you're doing, right? So yeah, if you're given exactly. a polemic, if you're given a polemic like how was everything created, what's what what kind of timeline do you have? Well, then or that too. Then they go in and then you know, they can talk to their parents, they can talk to other people, except I have people come in and tell me that they are coming in to teach my kids about the Bible. And I tell them that I'm coming to your church, and I'm going to preach for you. Um, And they say, that's not a, they said, that's not going to happen. And I said, exactly. So yeah, they said with you, like school prayer, you know, you know, you want you to do school prayer. Go, you want me to do school prayer? Right, look at me, <laughs> me to do school prayer. You do not want that. Yeah, really, you don't. It's not the place. It's just place and setting. And right. And I was thinking when you're talking, one of the things is I was thinking about the veil, and then I started thinking maybe it's thicker than the veil. Maybe it's like a burlap sack. This burlap sack of BS kind of that goes over people's heads and they start to believe stuff that's clearly not worth believing and they defend it and it's clearly not defensible and well they don't understand it they just well if i don't know about the flat earth guys but it's i thought we all understood because there's pictures well you know know, there's people who can test it i mean there's enough evidence to say to believe that the earth is flat is just downright silly and you're just being kind of confrontational because but if you think about the ancient greeks if you think about the ancient greeks they believed that that greece and everything was right here right (laughs) in the center yes they did and mount olympus was right dead center of all that and surrounding them was the river ocean yeah and on the other side of that were the elysian fields now, if somebody were to come to me and they could give me a really good argument about that, then I would say, "Great, say, I'll go for that." But show the truth me, was, tell me, found me. Out but that it that doesn't. That, that wasn't unless right. you were way that, back then. It was just right. wishful thinking, kind of like yeah. <laughs> and as <laughs> I get older, as I get older, there's more to the entire idea of the center of the Earth and the river ocean and the Elysian fields. There was far more, but you also have to remember about their level of technology. 
their level yeah. of understanding, their level and and the basic level of uh, education that they used to have back then, because our well, our I students, mean, yeah. every student that we have is is extremely privileged for the most part in mm-hmm. in how much education that they are actually given. And that yeah, they have degree, in right. front of them. Yeah, you are right. However, whether I still contend that that you're delusional if you believe the Earth is flat because it's not. <laughs> it's just we know it's okay. not. Okay, but we can so agree to, to do agree. that. To do that would be like, hey, now you have to kind of like waste. Stop wasting people's time by trying to convince them of something that we all know is absurd because you want to believe it. You know, there's a certain point where evidence has to be here in your, in your face. You go, yeah, I see that. That's evidence. I don't know if the Greeks would have seen it. They don't think they can be conceived it, but we sure can. And then well, they were, that's what I say with the uh, burlap but, sack of BS that sometimes we throw over ourselves. But if you think about it, back then, the Greeks were very much connected with the ocean, and they still are. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons why. And so they were, if you think about the great armies that they had, I mean, the Spartans, the Athenians, the Peloponnesian Wars, everything. But the Greeks actually went over and they conquered Rome. They conquered Italy. They conquered uh, Sicily. And then all these people came back and then they, it was this weird thing where they went back and forth, back (laughs) and forth. And so, and, you know, and then they went down to Africa. So back then, you still had the miscegenation that was going on back then. That was, yeah. it, there was, there were no laws against it whatsoever, really. I, so, I um, hmm? I, I, you know, I don't know a lot about Greek history, but you were probably taxed by your Greekness, your citizenship and your, and your status probably your status. But then if you also think about the fact with the Moorish influence of invading Europe, oh, when yeah, they yeah. did, there was a lot of miscegenation that happened at that point as well. We're so, all of us. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, well, we really basically are. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's a bunch of white folks walk around harboring African DNA and, and vice versa. I mean, it's obvious. So, right. Yeah. Right. Racist sort of mixed up. <laughs> Okay, next point. Some people suggested that it's being taught in the schools. So people are worried that their children are being indoctrinated. So, and I think that we can now bring up this article from the New York Magazine, which was... (coughs) Which was? How to manufacture a moral panic. Mm Mm-hmm. Correct. Yep, Christopher Ruther helping sign uproar over racism education with mm-hmm. dramatic and dodgy reporting. There it is, dodgy. Yeah, sort of. It, a lot of the times, people are trying to pursue a story, but they already have the outcome in mind, and that is not a decent way to inquire. Well, here's my question: because yeah. if and I and I have the article down in the show notes, if you look at the article and you read it it's it's intriguing because i don't see anything wrong really with what's going on in the one teacher that the first uh teacher his name is uh tolketa kuatan and and he he was teaching about the Mayan culture or the Aztec culture. Yeah. And so this, this journalist Rufo decided that he was, he, he drummed up this entire mythos about what was going on in there Mm -hmm. and how (laughs) he had designed a curriculum where they were talking about human sacrifice and cannibalism. And doing yeah. all these wonderful things, and the kids were supposed to be shouting to these gods, which to many people could could be tantamount to devil worship. 
in many ways. And so getting the religious zealots all worked up about this because uh, they don't know any better, but they're also not the kind that are going to investigate and delve any deeper. And then ironically and strangely accepted. (laughs) If somebody says something about something and they didn't investigate it, contempt without prior investigation, I don't trust that source. Right. But then he publishes, he publishes in a journal. It's on the, it's on the conservative news, news channel. Looking for the outcome, working backward from the outcome that they want. Right. Right. He even went in there. um, He even was arguing with Joanne Reed on MSNBC about all of this. So it's very, very strange (laughs) because he made such an impact in fear-mongering is basically what he did and giving out so much disinformation. Why was it fear-mongering? Because when you read it, you get scared. Like, wait a minute. So yeah, that's fear-mongering. It's not not objective. It's not... If you were to teach about Comanche, the Comanche society, the fact of the matter is you'd have to edit a lot or tell the whole truth because they delighted in murdering and torturing people they captured. They, it, right. was a, it was a thing they all, even the children enjoyed it. And it was like, it, that makes me mad. You know, it's like, hey, that's wrong. But that happened like, you know, 150 some years ago. So that's gone. Mm-hmm. But you have to talk about that if you want to talk about Cherokee society, or I'm sorry, Comanche society. And so I guess if you're going to talk about this, yeah, but to like, I, I wouldn't want to like actually, how did they scalp people? What specifically, how did they torture people? It's like, no, it's, you, you, you study that in college if you want. It's, it's just a no. Mm-hmm. It's high school. And so it's, if you're talking about public school, then okay. Maybe you don't teach it or you don't teach it in depth. And when you talk about it in depth, you go to college. There's books. You can always buy a book. It's a, it's a perfectly wonderful book called The People of the Summer Moon. It's an excellent book. It tells you all about Comanche The more you society. read, the more you learn. Yeah. I mean, are we going to say, well, that book makes some people uncomfortable. Actually makes me uncomfortable too. So I don't want anybody in myself not to read it. To read it. It's like, that's insane. Mm-hmm. So it's not indoctrinating. It's just that you have to kind of deal with it. Right. I get mad. Right. You know, and you just have to learn because. The peasants, yeah. Yeah. Um, I will say that my district where I was working, they are pretty progressive. And I came up with a, that because there are no standards, I had my students learn how to, part of, part of their one semester credit was for them to watch these videos about human migration in the early days and moving across mm. and starting and how, how the world began to be populated. And then they had to study, uh, I'm trying to remember because it's been a while since I read it because it was a few years ago when I wrote it. They they have to <laughs> identify and they have to learn about one of their own culture or one of their cultures if they're mixed. And then they can identify that and they can learn their ancestry and learn more about that culture and what components of that culture they still honor today. Yeah. And and whether or not things are still happening over there, and even with the age of exploration, in a sense, I don't care where you are in the world, you still had groups of people from all seven continents yeah. who were, they were out there navigating and exploring. Yeah, they were. And they were conquering, and they were enslaving in many mm-hmm. cultures. So they were all, all these cultures were doing all these things that humans tend to do. Right. But that was, but they put a quash on that because they wanted to keep with the mandated social studies curriculum. Yeah. We don't want to talk about that. Right. So that went down the tubes for the credit recovery and for the um, high school completion kids. So, but, but back onto this, 
we have to think about we have all of this. He he was very effective in ginning the crowd up and getting people to listen to him. And I believe that possibly people were duped by him because they thought he was an actual journalist who had actually done his due diligence, but they didn't do their due diligence with mm-hmm. him. And mm-hmm. so he's he brings up things about diversity training. So we have to be careful with that. He got... Yeah. Well, he was you know, working with James O'Keefe perfect. at one point. He and James O'Keefe from Project yeah. Veritas. And James O'Keefe, I think, got rid of him, didn't he? I don't know the specifics, but I know they worked together. They worked alongside each other. And it's like James O'Keefe was a very dishonest quote, journalist. So anyway, so then they come to the Tiger Twalton School District where I used to work. <laughs> yeah. Lucky. And now they're now he says that the director of equity and inclusion is dictating that people follow the tenets of Paulo Freire's pedagogy of the oppressed. Now, if you thought critical race theory was complicated and deep, let's go to Paulo Freire. (laughs) So here's what I'm going to say about Paulo Freire's book. And that is, um, Boy, what is it? He says, okay, oh, yeah, needs, here's, here's what they're, here's, here's, here's Pedagog- the tenets of Paulo Freire. Pedagogy of the oppressed. Is the teacher and the students similar. need to be collaborating. We do that in alternative ed. And yeah. the reason why I'm going to go through these tenets is because <laughs> yeah. not everybody reads Freire. And it's not a book that's easily digested. You need to actually go through it and you need to be reading it with other people so that you can dialogue your way through. There's a lot of background to his stuff that if you don't know it, it's like, what? (laughs) So you have to ask somebody, oh, I know about that. Yeah. So this is is just it boiled down, okay? Then there's conscientization and it's about raising critical consciousness because students should be able to examine the world around them critically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and take action to transform it. If that means political action, if that means going in and volunteering, there, there are far more other ways of taking action than politicizing everything. Mm-hmm. Problem-posing education. An approach to education that's based on problem-posing than just memorizing facts. You mean outcome-based or project-based? Exactly. Outcome-based. That's what what it is. Yeah. So students are encouraged to ask questions, challenge, and engage in critical thinking. And fail. Contextualization. Try again, yeah. Lived experiences of the students so that the learning is relevant to them and to their problems, their issues, and where they are, where they're going. Then there's the idea of praxis where education should be linked to action, where you should be looking at real world problems and students should be trying to solve them. So it's not just these are the problems. It's how do we solve these problems? So there's a lot of critical action. And then you um, have the humanization because we need to fulfill the full potential of the individual. I want my kids to be feeling as though they are not just worthy, but they are also capable of doing a number of things. And if they realize that they fall short on some issues, well, they can figure out a way to get there because every kid is an individual. And in alternative ed, we want our kids to be individualized. So um, this, these are basically the points that we have from Freire. Yeah. Pardon? Well, I don't know about we want kids to be individualized. I think we we yes, honor we do. individualization. I think we also want kids to learn how to work in teams. I always Well, they have to, to learn how to work in teams. And teams and things like that. And, and well, if you want to clone your kids, do you want your yeah. kids to be clones? Well, they they would be another being like them, but they wouldn't be the same person, you know. I mean, that's a kind of strange Because thing. they're an individual. That's what yeah. I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Every I mean, Every yeah. child, every child, every student 
brings their own skills and talents. Exactly. So Every human brings their own their own right. story. But they are different right. individuals. Oh, absolutely. Everyone does that. Yeah. You're right. yeah. I just don't want to treat. I don't have to teach them to be individuals per se. I just really respect it and encourage it. And that's true. You're right. You're right. That would be true. Everyone's responsible for their own. Okay. So, so I think that did we cover it all? Yeah. Oh, um, wait, let me get back to, let me get back to the Tiger Twelton deal. Oh, you never, yeah, I was going to say, wait. <laughs> just, you know, I, I okay. was just, the thing about that, I'm going to have to come back that. on this. Okay. See, now, he thinks all that's Marxist. He thinks Paulo Freire is Marxist. He thinks it's all Marxist. And, and, and Freire like, is a Marxist. Yeah. He is a, yeah. Freire is a Marxist, but his ideas are the ideas that we teach and that we honor because they're the same ideas in many ways they are the same ideas that the jesuits teach and that other people teach in their curriculum and have for millennia right so these are not this is nothing new whatsoever so and i know that zinnia un looks out for kids in fact yesterday i was told about something wonderful that she had done for my former program so Kudos to you, Zinnia nice. Un. And then we have all these other ideas and things that he talks about. But what he does is he takes a little pea and turns it into a bowl of mashed potatoes. Mm. So a lot of what he has said and a lot of the misinformation that people are getting is based on pretty much a concoction of lies that has nothing there so that the boogeyman is there. And so it's not just the race. It's not just the racism that's being the boogeyman. Yeah. It's the whole concept of a theory. So it's almost the same. We're almost at the same place that Darwinism was before we hit the scopes trial. Is that making sense? It does make sense. It's absolutely freaking nuts because it just, it's like you come to a certain place in your logic and go, yep, that's all the logic I have today. <laughs> no mm -hmm. more. Every other decision I make from now on is going to be completely based on whatever I pull out of my keister. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I don't and the understand. Problem is, is People, that adults acting like children and getting away with it. And it makes me angry. In a sense. You know, that's the kid's in a sense, Yes. Yeah, there's the kids' table and there's the adults' table, and there are an awful lot of morons at the adult table. I think they need to go to the kids' table and discuss things on the less complicated level. And it happens on both sides of the aisle, though. Oh, it, just people like that are just people like that. They should be at the kids' so, table. And the, 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 a lot of times I hear people talking about things, and it's like, where where are you getting these ideas because they are so misaligned with what you're talking with with whatever it is some of them are just so, kind of made up like, like that is totally made up no right. it's not no it is it's got to be or, it's crazy <laughs> and sometimes people sense. people choose their belief system and they will and this is really interesting people will defend a lie as long Absolutely. as, as long as it is a person that they believe in, it's almost like Stockholm syndrome. Well, it's like it, it serves a purpose. They'll believe the lie if it serves a purpose. They will. They will push the forth the lie. Yes, that's true because too. it serves a purpose. Or promote it or withdraw it or tweak it or whatever it does to get purpose done. And that's what critical race theory said about race. The, the, the complete fallacy is that race is a thing and that mm -hmm. we go out of our way to make sure it matters a lot in all kinds of complicated ways. Here's a question. Yeah. Is racism profitable? Extremely profitable extremely profitable it builds nations so <laughs> think about that but is it is it is it profitable in the united states 
Absolutely. Is is being divisive in the United States profitable? Oh, we all know that. Very. Based upon For some people, seen. it is. Lately, somebody got called on it, but <laughs> they, mm. got, they got rid of their problem, I guess, and now it's all going to be better. <laughs> I remember when it was announced. I have to say that the straight face. We're, we're doing the highest in journalistic standards. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Okay. It, it's very profitable. And that was the whole point of that. They were yeah. willing to go completely off whatever definition of journalism there was to make, to not upset their audience with the truth. Right. And that's news is the truth. It's like, don't be in the truth business if you don't have any. And there you go. Well, and be honest pushing, about it. Yeah. I mean, people pushing their status when they have none or, they've created it themselves and then handed mm -hmm. it to an audience that just grants them the, the numbers. Right. We, we don't have to listen to that. It's sort of absurd. We but have a lot of problems with that in our nation. But yeah. <laughs> we shouldn't do but, it that way. But sometimes it's like saying, don't look at an accident. Yeah. Everyone wants to look at the accidents unless you did. I, I was a paramedic for a bunch of years. I don't like accidents. Like, Ooh, Maybe someone asked me to help. I don't want to do that either. They did that. Yeah. I'd do it. But it's like accidents are kind of like if you did it, like if you're a rescue person after a while, it's your job. It's like it's not thrilling. Mm. It hurts your heart. Kind of like the stuff that's happening on TV where they say this outrageous stuff that isn't true. It kind of hurts my yeah. heart. It's like that's just not true. Don't tell people that. It's not helping mm. anything. Like okay. this, this Christopher Rufo article. So let's wrap it up. Yeah. In conclusion, it's not divisive or anti-white ideology. It's a description. Mm -hmm. it's, it's something that describes what's going on and explains where racism came from, how it's used. Yeah. It does and, not promote the idea that all white people are inherently racist or privileged. Mm -hmm. Privilege and oppression happen on both sides. On all sides. Yeah, everywhere. Um, all yeah. around the world. All around the world. That's what I meant. Yeah, everywhere. Not just from. Racial not essentialism and that race is fixed and unchangeable yeah. as part of an individual's identity is not correct. Absolutely. So, and we, and there's not the indoctrination that's going on in schools. If a teacher is doing something about some kind of political indoctrination, that has nothing to do with CRT. That has yeah. to do that has to do with somebody who is not doing their job. Yeah, I was so, going to make a comment. If your kids are learning CRT in high school, they are extremely smart kids. They're, they're studying graduate school stuff. <laughs> but concurrently, you can't teach. Um, you know, CRT at the high school level, it's too complicated or and you can't go anywhere in the elementary school level. And if you're teaching kids to feel bad about their race, that has nothing to do with... That's on you. That, that's bad teaching. Yeah. That's because not, every child should be cherished and welcomed, wanted, needed, valued. Yeah. We're all part of the same team, man. It's like, <laughs> I want everyone working with each other. I want to stop arguing. Resolve. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's what I teach. So. Okay. So we're going to wrap up. And cool. I want to thank everybody for showing up. Make sure that you do hit that like button, that you hit that subscribe button, that you go for notifications, and that you also leave us a review, leave us a comment for those of you on YouTube. And next week, we will have the indomitable and wonderful Dr. Maria Christina. And she will take us through some ways to alleviate stress and anxiety. Things that are simple. Things that you can incorporate in your daily routine. So, until then, Philip, thank you so much. Okay. I will see you soon. And same to everybody else. Have a wonderful week. Bye-bye.